Welcome to the Peace Dependency Podcast. I'm your host, Frank, also known as Sir Mesa. Happy New Year to you all. I know that 2020 brought a lot of bad things and I sincerely hope that 2021 will be a great year for you both on a personal level as on a classic Tetris level. For me, 2020 was a weird year. I stopped doing improv theater and I joined the classic Tetris community. When I started the podcast last year, I would never imagine that the podcast is where it is today. Thank you all for your support and all the love. And 2021 will be an even better year with amazing guests and a lot of cool stories. Speaking of which, we have one of the best dance players in the world on the show today. He finished in the top 16 of CTWC 2020. He organized a successful Classic Tetris tournament, which went to a completely different format for this season. And he's one of the better commentators in the scene. Yes, of course, I'm talking about It's Sharky. We spoke a week before Christmas and we talked about the Classic Tetris Gauntlet, Death, CTWC and much more. This is our conversation. Sharky, welcome to the Peace Dependency Podcast and thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, first question is always the same question to everyone who's new on the podcast and that is how did you get into NES Tetris? Well, initially I saw a video back in 2015. I don't remember who the two players were, but they were playing classic Tetris and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll take a look. But they were playing on level nine at the time. And so it didn't look too interesting to me. So then I didn't, you know, get into it then. But 2018 on uh, December 26, I saw the uh, video between uh, Joseph and Jonas. And then after watching that full video, then that's when I got into Tetris. How did you start? What did you, did you bought an NES uh, beforehand or did you start on an, on an emulator? Uh, for two months after I watched that video, I studied how Jonas and Joseph stacking, how they stacked. And then on yeah. February 27th, that's when I first played on an NES. I went ahead and bought the NES and uh, all the cables in the Tetris cartridge. Why did you study the stacking before you started playing? Well, because I figured that if I wanted to become competitive at this, I'd need to learn, you know, how, you know, the best stacked. And at the time, you know, the only two people that I yeah. figured would be the best were the two that made it to the finals. So I was like, well, if I want to improve fast, I need to be able to try and emulate the way that the two, the top two players or the finalists stacked. And so what was your progress from starting NES Tetris to your first max out? So... The first three weeks, uh, first week I spent my time on level seven, eight, and nine. And at the end of that week, I had a 300k. Yeah. The second week, I was told by Jonas in one of his streams to go ahead and move to level 13 because I was already, you know, efficient enough at level nine and I didn't necessarily know where to go next. And so then from level 13 at the end of that week, I ended up with a uh, 400k. And then yeah. That third week, I felt comfortable enough with level 18. So then I just continuously play level 18. And by the end of uh, that third week, I had a 500k PB. And when did you start playing uh, competitive matches? I started playing competitive matches in April. And was it CTM? Yeah, it was CTM. It was uh, my first time ever qualifying for any event. And at the time, CTM was really the only competitive avenue. There was uh, only CTM and deathmatch which happened 
like once a month. Was that why you started Classic Tetris Gauntlet? Yeah, that's actually part of the reason why I started Classic Tetris Gauntlet. For for people who don't know, what is Classic Tetris Gauntlet? So Classic Tetris Gauntlet, at least before this uh, upcoming season, Classic Tetris Gauntlet was essentially like it was supposed to be another tournament outside of Classic Tetris Monthly. And the way that it worked was it was like a King of the Hill format. So anytime, you know, I'd host these things and we'd call them gauntlets where people would join in a queue and play up against each other. And winner stays on and, you know, loser goes and has the option to go at the end of the queue. And then yeah. over, you know, however many wins or loses you get, you gain or lose points. And then at the end of the season, there's a tournament for generally cash prizes or, you know, like a shirt that we give away or a custom yeah. controller. And what was the first season of the Gauntlet uh, like? The first season, it was, it was pretty interesting and a little bit nerve wracking because at the time, you know, I haven't commentated anything ever and I was still, you know, trying to get a feel for, you know, restreaming and stuff. So I had yeah. a couple of people on with me to help commentary. One of them was uh, one of my friends from Xbox. His name was Icarus, who had commentating fighting games before. And then yeah. things got too hectic in his life since it was in the middle of his senior year. And so then I, uh, another, fr another friend that I recently met, FBI Stevo, he came on to commentate with me. And then eventually yeah. things got too hectic for him. And so then I was, you know, forced to commentate mostly by myself. But I feel like because I was forced to commentate by myself, develop my own style of commentary and such. And who did influence you for your commentary? Because you have a high-profile, hype style while, while commentating classic Tetris matches. I feel like the inspiration from my commentary comes from uh, Chris Tang and his high energy. And... Yeah. I wanted to be like, well, hey, if anyone watches this, I want them to become, you know, invested in the game. That's why, yeah. you know, anytime, you know, I'm commentating, you know, level 18, it's like you're setting up, you know, the story of you're setting up, you know, the introduction, you know, these players are playing yeah. in level 18 speed that, you know, a lot of people can handle. And then when we go into level 19, that's when I start to speed up the tempo that I talk, you know start to emphasize things a little bit more because I want you to be invested, emotionally invested, because it's like now we're starting to reach the climax and the climax is generally the most exciting part of the games. Yeah. Did you ever wanted to be a commentator or did you just wanted to play? I, I felt like it's in between both. I know that uh, I wanted to help to try and do something for the community. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, I'm not sure if I could be, you know, a skilled commentator. And, you know, at the time I was like only an 800k PB player. And so I felt like uh, I would I was like to do, you know, both like be both a player and a commentator. Outside of that, uh, for example, sports commentators or different commentators that that influence you to be the commentator that you are right now. Uh, no, I don't really listen too much to sports commentary. I mean, outside of whenever, you know, I do occasionally watch, you know, basketball games, but I don't have like any particular commentator that, you know, I listen to. So it yeah. was just, uh, I guess, James Chen and Chris Tang. So really the CTWC guys. Yeah. And for next season, the Gauntlets is doing something different. Uh, you go with, with a team format. Why is that? 
Well, one thing that I notice in the scene is, you know, that we have plenty, there's a lot of things that we have, and there's also a lot of things that we don't have. One of the things that we yeah. have a lot of is your basic 1v1 matches, you know, player versus player. And the thing that a lot of esports have is, you know, they have like some kind of team function to where like you're playing for a team. And so I was like, well, if Tetris is an esport, I think it'd be cool to, you know, experiment, see, you know, all right, we have people, they create their own teams, pick their own teams. And, you know, with a uh, format that took me a while to think about, you know, yeah. we have them play up, teams play up against each other and then, you know, play it out, you know, like sports, you know, teams, overall team winnings will translate to, you know, a seating in the playoffs and, you know, yeah, big prize pool for, you know, the entire team to get paid. Will, will it be like a, a NBA season or NHL season that you have teams on fixed dates playing against each other and then all accumulating in a, a in a playoff where you have a elimination style bracket and the winner takes all yeah that's that's kind of what i'm aiming for because a lot of it is inspired from the nba but i also do realize you know this comes with the uh challenge of time zones and you know people's responsibilities and so that's why i tried to make it as many days that i'm available you know tuesday thursday saturday night and then probably like sunday afternoon so then yeah. that way there's as many opportunities for you know teams to schedule matches where they get you know at least three players to play up another against another team with you know three players of their choice yeah and how will the teams be formed so i decided that the team captains should be a players that have achieved a 1.2 or above yeah. and then there are special cases for players that ended up like you know maybe like 25 or uh, 25 to 30,000 off of a 1.2 that if they yeah. would like they could also have their own team but those are going to be like the team captains and then they'll go through and pick players in like a draft and so then yeah. the lowest PB is going to get the first pick and then so on and so forth and then will they be traits during the season or the team that you pick during the draft will be the team you end up with whenever you get eliminated or whenever you win the, win the championship. I'm thinking about having two opportunities for trades and this these two opportunities for trades are also going to be when new people can join like mid-season. And so then like, let's say, you know, a team once, you know, one of the new players, they can trade to like another team for, you know, a spot in the new draft. Yeah. Something along and that nature. And is this the way you want to go forward with the gauntlet or do you want to go back to a one for you one style somewhere in the future? I feel like this is a way that I do want to go. I, uh, during, throughout the season, I did plan to, you know, still host the King of the Hill gauntlets just, you know, since, uh, people do still kind of enjoy those and there isn't really anything like that out in the, you know, the classic Tetris, uh, scene. However, yeah. the scene has progressed so much to where there is, you know, so many 1v1 scenes. You have Classic Tetris Asia, Classic Tetris Latam, you know, Classic Tetris Brawl, CTM, Classic Tetris League, you know, all these different yeah. things that focus on the 1v1 format. And then in the case of Classic Tetris Nations, like a 2v2 format. And so then having, you know, a team that you're playing for, I think it'd be an interesting new concept that can, you know, bring pique the interest of a lot of players. And, and do you want to do this uh, once a year or multiple times a year? I want to aim to try and do it twice a year. Or if not twice, then just almost twice. So like a season yeah. might last, you know, 
six months, which I'm planning for this upcoming season last, and then the next one lasts five months. Uh, and what can people do if they want to participate in the next season of The Gauntlet? Well, I have a registration form that uh, will still stay open, even though uh, the registration for you know the first pe- first batch of players will be closing uh, today or on Sunday the 20th. But if they still ended up wanting to join, I have a registration form, and I am working on you know releasing a video to kind of give all the information on what you know this new season of Classic Tetris Gauntlet is. Yeah, speaking of your YouTube channel, you are also the host of the Classic Tetris Insider. What's that show all about? So the Classic Tetris Insider, it was uh, one thing uh, came on stream and I was talking about, you know, how there really hasn't been, you know, there's not too many people that know about online events because, you know, most of the information stays isolated in the discords. And so unless you're in the discords or, you know, you occasionally see someone that, you know, tweet, if you see the right person tweet it out on Twitter or post on Facebook or something, you won't know about these events. And so I was like, well, there should be, you know, a show that can be like, hey, here's what's happening this week, this week, this week, and this week. And, you know, here's also, you know, some other things that are happening in the scene, like cool things. And so I was like, well, maybe I can be the person, you know, make that show. That way I can, you know, continue to inform, you know, not just only people inside, you know, the discords that maybe don't have time to check them all, but, you know, inform the people on YouTube because a lot of people that watch Classic Sessions on YouTube aren't in any of the discords at all. True, yeah. And uh, how long does it take before you get an episode online? Because you do it bi-weekly. But, but how long does it take before you get all the information uh, for, for, the, for the episode? I'd say gathering the information is the least intensive part. Majority of it comes from editing, since I like to do a lot. It's a lot of keyframing and, you know, making sure that everything is animated properly. And so majority of the work does come from editing. Yeah, does it have to be a, a what is it, sports center style like show? Yeah, I'm aiming for a I want it to kind of be like Sports Center, but for yeah. Tetris. And so it is it's potentially gonna lean towards that way with this new season of Gauntlet, because you know they're being teams, and so it's like, all right, this week you have team matchups between X team and you know Y team. Yada yada yada. And like last week, here's the recap of what happened with this team, and you know, show highlights and stuff like that. You know, like they would do in a traditional Sports Center broadcast. Yeah. And what's the end goal for the uh, for the Classic Tetris Insider? The end goal for the Classic Tetris Insider is to just necessarily be this beacon of information. So then, it grow. I hope that you know it grows big enough to where a lot of people are watching. It, it's like, oh, there is you know. The classic Tetris Asia tournament going on, you know, that's friendly towards Asian time zones. Hey, maybe I can join that if, you know, I myself were an Asian. Or, oh, they're doing the, you know, Latin American uh, qualifiers. And, you know, I probably want to participate in that. It's like, or, you know, classic Tetris Brawl is having a thing where, you know, the new world champ dog, you know, hosts it. It just wanted to be a beacon of information for everyone. And eventually, Maybe if, you know, becomes big enough, maybe there might be even some inclusion for, you know, modern iterations of Tetris. Because as of right now, the modern iterations of Tetris, all they have is stuff that is, you know, unique to the Discord. They're kind of, you know, yeah. in the same position as us. There isn't really any YouTube channel, you know, telling you what all tournaments are, you know, involved and such. Are you, are you active in the modern Tetris scene or just only the classic Tetris scene? 
I'm not as active in the modern Tetris scene as I am for the classic. I mean, I occasionally, you know, stop by a few streamers and I play Tetrio every now and then, but I don't actively, you know, play it yet at the same rate that I play classic. Organizers and other content creators, how easily did they contact you to have items in the classic Tetris Insider? Uh, mostly I would, uh, just DM them over like a discord or they would DM me as like, Hey, I'd like to, you know, put something on the insider. And then I asked for, you know, all the information, you know, dates, times, events, you know, participator or participants. And then all I have to do is, you know, put in this own section in the insider. Yeah. And, uh, the interviews, I saw you did an interview on the last insider. Are you, are you going to do that more often? I feel like with more projects that come out in uh, the classic Tetris community. So, for example, you know, that was, you know, Chat Playing Tetris, which was a really cool and unique project. And then there's obviously, you know, Jake's block tool, which after he finishes it, I, you know, would like to get him on interview. So then more people, you know, would know about it and could support him because he created that. And, you know, he just did it for fun. But yeah. I feel like as more projects come out, then that would be, you know, something that I do more regularly is uh, interviews. Or if there's, you know, like a certain thing, certain event that happened and, you know, wanted to recap by, you know, interviewing the winner, then maybe something like that. And is there a possibility that you go weekly instead of uh, bi-weekly? I feel like going weekly would be an incredible challenge and i don't have necessarily enough time to do weekly i know that for ccwc season i kind of forced myself to do weekly you know creating a spinoff series called the flash insider which had no editing just about and was just me you know just throwing information back and forth you know so yeah. i can get just get it out there so more people know because things were happening you know on a weekly basis during a yeah. ctwc but if I somehow, you know, get enough support and there's enough stuff that happens in the scene within, you know, a single week, then yeah, I could do weekly. Do you like to work solo or work in a team? Everything that I do for the most part is solo. But uh, Classic Tetris Gauntlet, for example, I've had, I've worked, you know, with a few people, mainly uh, Anthony, who is, you know, my business partner for the custom controllers. Him and I are both graphics designers, so we uh, design, you know, all the, all the overlays and stuff that we use for Gauntlet, as well as, you know, the stuff for the controllers. And then yeah. I have two other people that, you know, generally want to, you know, help with, like, spreadsheets and such. And then, you know, there's obviously a bunch of restreamers during the tournaments that, you know, help uh, progress it, since I myself can't restream, like, over 40 matches within, like, a two-week time period. Nah, that's impossible. <laughs> We will return to the conversation with Icharki in a minute. But first, if you like the PC Dependency Podcast, help us grow. Please share the podcast with every classic Tetris fan. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Peace Dependency. You can also like our Facebook page, Peace Dependency Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will have all the podcasts uploaded at full length. Also, you can listen to the Peace Dependency Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Join the Kingsman Tetris Friendly's Discord server. Besides the fact that it's the place to discuss anything PDP, you can also participate in some lovely friendlies or put your ELO on the line in the various ELO battles. If you have a suggestion we need to have on the next Peace Dependency Podcast, 
let us know through your socials, the Discord channel, or send us an email to podcast at gmail.com. By the way, this amazing music on the background is a Tetris Music Theme remix made by classic Tetris community member Bumpy Heart. Now, let's go back to the conversation with It's Sharky, where we'll be talking about why he plays with Das. Hey, you're one of the top Das players at the moment. You are the only Das player in CTL Division 1. Uh, you are one of the 11 players with a 1.2 million personal bets. And along with Jonas Neubauer, the only Das player who made it into the CTWC Top 16. Why do you prefer playing Das as your primary playstyle above hypertapping? Well, a lot of it came from the fact I just didn't know how to hypertap. There, uh, I know Moodus when I did my first stream, which was actually on YouTube, he stopped by uh, my stream and told me you should do hypertapping. But the thing was, like, I didn't know how they did it or anything. And so yeah. I was forced to learn, you know, DAS. And then by the time I was like, oh, so that's how they do it. I, you know, the trying to start and learn at the time, it was like I'd be starting from square one and for competitive, I wasn't sure you know if i wanted to uh do that and so that's why you know i plan to you know stick with das until i got like 1.1 or you know 1.2 so i can say that you know i've mastered das even though i still personally feel like i have a uh, long way to go but in yeah. 2021 i do attempt i want to plan to attempt to learn tapping and if my tapping can match my skill with das then I might switch over or, you know, just do a kind of what Pixel Andy and Broden do, DAS 18 and then tap 19. Hey, do you have a, a grip in mind that you want to use for the hyper tapping? I've been trying out Dan QZ's grip, uh, similar to Dan QZ and Mark's grip. But I yeah. also was thinking about trying to develop a one-handed grip, potentially. Uh, sort of like JD's grip, but outside of that, I'm not sure. I guess I'd give it like a month on each grip or so and see you know if i make any progress with it yeah do people know that you want to that you want to switch play styles a lot of people this is actually like the frequently most asked questions whenever i stream is like hey why don't you tap and are you going to tap and so uh, a few people do know that i'm planning to attempt to learn how to swap but a lot of players think you know i'm still you know just going to be solely das yeah and uh, what do you think of people saying that Das is dead? So I don't really necessarily feel like Das is dead because there's a lot more to competitive Tetris that people understand and or people know about, I should say. And because of this, you know, I feel like I wanted to make a video in 2021, you know, describing this because Obviously, a DAS player, they're not going to be able to get the overall, you know, highest score in NES Tetris because Hyper Tetris just have way too much of advantage, which, you know, the only way DAS players can compensate is by getting, you know, insanely good RNG and playing incredibly efficient and aggressive. But yeah. in match play, it's totally different, you know, as demonstrated by, you know, me and Jonas, who both made top 16 at CTWC, you know, him placing 11th and I placed 10th. You know, and both of our paths were, you know, filled with hyper tappers. My path in particular, I had to go up against Ben, who was now a 1.2 player, and Nenu, who was a 1.3 player, and Paul, who was a mid 1.1 player, and then have to play Nenu two more times. And then even shown in CTL season or this past season, you know, where I just went up against hyper tapper after hyper tapper, the average PB 
in the division was 1.2 and you know i was the only daz player and then i end up winning up the entire division going up to division one so if yeah. i'm able to do this then obviously there's things that daz can still do in terms of match and competitive play what is by the way this the origin of the hyper jolting meme so it happened whenever i attended uh, ctwc in uh 2019 and at the time, you know, I did know of quick taps and I knew how to do them. But the thing was, I didn't quite learn traditional quick taps. There's that one thing is like, oh, you know how they work. Now you got to figure out how to do them. And at the time, the way that I figured out how to do them was I would jolt my arm or, you know, tighten it up so then I could do an extra tap. Well, yeah. the commentators for that tournament, Arda and Chris Bidwell, whenever I did do it, they Arda was like, oh, the hyper jolt because it was you know how you know i would jolt my arm you know get pieces over especially you know during that one section where i was actually hyper tapping because i my dad's control was not good enough to, to try and recover from that height and so yeah eventually you know it did become you know a sort of a meme it died out a little bit and then 2020 it just became a full person where you know people think it is you know an actual play style that is unique to me do you embrace it or do you hate it? I mean, at first it like I embraced it. And then throughout like uh, the middle of 2020, I was like, bro, just stop. And then after 2020, I'm like, you know what? I w why not? It's, you know, something that, you know, makes me unique and helps me stand out from other players. So I guess, you know, I am hyper jolter. But if, you know, anyone asks, you know, like how to do it or what it is, you know, I'll come out and, you know, tell them the truth. It, it was just like. You know, it's just how they ex described my exaggerated arm movement whenever yeah. I quick tap. You've done a lot for CTWC this year. Um, maybe people don't know, but you were editing the YouTube videos for the qualifying brackets so that they got all on YouTube before the top eight main events. How much time did you spend on editing those videos? I probably would say that outside of days that I had, you know, other things to do, like, uh, you know, had to go out with my family or... Uh, had to uh you know host the silver bracket i say i pretty much edited all day every day you know because of the rendering taking forever and then you know trying yeah. to grab the stuff for like the thumbnails and everything so i did this for like about three we almost you know a month straight of just you know non-stop editing that's why you know on my channel there's like you know you have the insider and then there's like a three week three to a week to a month break before the next insider because i was focused on trying to get that content out for their channel you know help out the community as opposed you know focus yeah. on on uh, my channel and is it more than just uh, cutting the matches and putting putting them up, up on youtube oh yeah it's a lot more and it's a lot more time consuming than what people think i mean especially with the fact that these are uh you know hour-long videos the rendering itself depending on what kind of computer you have can take anywhere from you know one to two hours and then you know i go a step further and then uh and compress the videos so that they're easier and upload you know to uh where uh, i share the files with them and upload to youtube faster which takes you know yeah. an additional hour but it's a lot more than doing that i did have to do you know some keyframing animating and then there was you know obviously you know stuff that they told me to do via like template but it yeah. is a lot more work than what people give credit for. And you also hosted the CTWC Silver Bracket. Did you 
organize it or co-organize this or were you just only the host slash restreamer for the event? I basically organized everything. I had to, you know, create the scenes and then, you know, I had to do, you know, some test streams. And then I had Chris Forrest. He did help me, you know, verify players were ready. But, you know, for the most part, I was, uh, you know, checking, getting in contact with all the players, you know, making sure they're, you know, present and everything. You know, I was the one that provided, you know, all the information on, you know, when it was going to be. And, you know, I had Chris Bidwell and uh, JD come on, you know, commentary and they helped, you know, read sponsorship things, which, you know, I'm grateful for because as one person, I don't think there was any way, you know, I'd be able to remember to read sponsorship stuff as well as uh, <laughs> keep make sure, you know, to keep the restream open and everything. Was the good idea to host the tournament over two days? Yeah, I feel like it was good to host it over two days because if it was hosted over one day, it would take a, it would take it'd run late in the night because of, you know, just how long that first, uh, that first round was. And, you know, the second round or not the second round, but the top eight being, you know, you know, top eight, you can focus and spotlight players a little bit more and, yeah. you know, you give them a time, you know, like rest and prepare for the next day. How did they come to you for like, Hey, do you want to host the, the silver bracket? Uh, they just, uh, they contacted me like a couple months before ctwc asking you know how if i would like if it was possible if i would like to be a commentator for you know any events and i was yeah. like yes now i will be honest i did want to you know commentate primarily the uh gold bracket because yeah. i know that there would there's you know a potent there's a lot more potential for you know insane matches and being able to you know commentate the gold bracket would you know be amazing however it it did lead to me to, you know, getting quite upset whenever, you know, I found out that all the spots were taking. And I feel like me getting upset actually is what drove me to, you know, improve so much over the month of October during uh, that CTWC month. But yeah. I was still proud to, you know, commentate the silver bracket because the way how intense qualifiers were this year, I knew that there was, you know, potential to see some insane matches in silver bracket. And that's exactly what happened, you know, exciting top eight all the way. What was the reason that you couldn't commentate on the, the gold bracket? Generally, they want, you know, uh, commentators to not also be participants in uh, the tournament. And, you know, he asked, he's like, what are your chances of, uh, you know, making the gold bracket? And I said, 99% chance, like, I'd be shocked if I didn't make it. So it was like, you know, with me almost being definite and participating in the tournament, you know, I wouldn't be able to, you know, commentate if, you know, I wouldn't be able to commentate yeah. at all. And so that's why, you know, I ended up being a commentator for Silver Bracket. Who impressed you the most during the during the Silver Bracket? I liked, I think, in between Wing and uh, I think Tom, those were... Uh, those were two players that impressed me those because I knew nothing about them and they played incredibly a uh, solid Tetris. I did know I did, you know, hear that Wing was a uh, you know a CTEC champion, so I knew that you know he was skilled at Tetris, but you know his play in NTC was also really good. So those two players, I would say, you know, having me not knowing anything about them and having, you know, no expectations, I'd say that they impressed me. Is that difficult commentating people that you don't know? Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily difficult. I just can't pull up any, you know, previous information. So for majority of the players, 
like in top 64 i know or have commentated over their matches and so then i can bring up you know stuff that happened in their past or you know stuff of things like you know spectacular things that they might have done because i just have you know a repository of information that i know about majority of players and you know with it being new players and i don't know anything about i can't you know bring anything from that and so then i have to more focus on their gameplay and maybe past matches in case you know they progress pretty far in the tournament in order to you know provide commentary do you do you write stuff down about about the players that you commentate on nope yeah all of it is uh memorized that's pretty amazing and then the most important thing you participated in ctwc we mentioned it before uh you made it to the top 16 but first let's back it up a bit when ctwc announced that we go that they were going online this year what was your reaction i was excited but at the same time i was worried because i didn't know how exactly they were going to pull it off like or not necessarily how they're going to pull out how they were going to structure the event because they yeah. don't they really haven't done any you know online tournaments prior to this you know vanwell is the one that does ctm dog does ctb mudu ctl myself classic tetris gauntlet etc and so i was genuinely curious you know how they were going to pull it off what do you think of that they were using max out club instead of the traditional restreaming setup I think that it was great because, you know, it still helps deliver that ex- a lot of that experience from, a, you know, 2019 and prior years where, you know, Vision was implemented. And yeah. at the same time, you know, with doing traditional restreaming, there is, uh, you know, some issues that can happen. Like, you know, your connectivity to the streamer might be a little bit iffy or, you know, your internet might not be able, might not be the best to, you know, handle it. And so it kind of eliminated a lot of those issues. Yeah, and could you hear the commentary that we heard on the broadcast, or because you were in a in in a meeting with with the players and and the organizers, I believe. I actually didn't join. I didn't join the voice chat that I was supposed to be in, but I had the I had the stream pulled up at all times, and so I heard the commentary via the stream. However, you know, it was always like slightly delayed for me. Why did you join the the VZ? I didn't know I was supposed to because they didn't explicitly say. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I listen to commentary anyways while I play. So I'll just, you know, pull up the stream and, you know, listen yeah. to call outs and such. And then a qualifying came. Uh, how did you prepare for the qualifying? I did two hour qualifiers every single day up until that day. And generally the qualifiers resulted in anywhere from uh, two to four max outs. But then the actual qualifying came and you were 2,000 points away from a max out. Yep, 998,562 points. Yeah. How pumped were you? I was, I was extremely, I was frustrated more than anything because it's like, you know, I've just gone 11 days straight of getting, you know, two to four max outs, you know, each day. So like 24 max outs. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the day comes, I just couldn't I just couldn't manage to get a max out and I don't feel like it was nervousness or anything because I don't really get nervous like that just because you know how I play competitive you know done a lot of competitive yeah. things however it's just that one day I just you know played off and it's quite unfortunate what do you think of of the overall qualification process I think that uh, the multiple max out rule is good 
I know uh, that eventually it might become to a point to where we're seeing, you know, like max out is required to get in and you need like a couple of max outs to stay in. And so then Cheese did have an interesting suggestion of like a number of 1.1s as opposed to number of max outs. Since uh, yeah. him and I both believe, you know, 1.1 is, you know, mostly skill and not necessarily RNG based. While if you're doing, you know, the highest score, you know, you are reliant on RNG for a bit of it to, you know, get those 1.2, 1.3 scores in qualifying. Yeah. And the, the overall experience, did you watch a lot of qualifiers that week? Yeah, I watched a lot of uh, qualifiers, mainly to, uh, to, you know, be able to pull up uh, timestamps for uh, the Insider to, you know, highlight qualifiers. Because yeah. I was going to do my first ever, like, official episode, you know, following the pilot for the Insider after that qualifying week. Yeah. Were you surprised that the cutoff score was 919? Or did you did you thought that it would be higher or lower? Mainly, I was surprised because I expected the participants to be a lot lower than what it was. I wasn't expecting a hundred and sixty-seven people to participate. Any like I will admit, like you know, before uh, you know registration ended, it was like at a time where there was like not even sixty-four players yet. I was like, well, yeah. if things, you know, stay the way they are and we're at like, you know, 47 and we double by the time, you know, registration hits, you know, probably giving us from you from a like 90 to 110. Then I believe, you know, the cutoff would be uh, anywhere from like eight, 800 to, you know, 870, yeah. somewhere around that range. But when so many people joined, you know, that very last day, that kind of like threw my predictions off for, you know, the main bracket. And end up yeah. my prediction being like correct for uh, the silver bracket where 750 was the cutoff. So having 900k did shock me a little bit, but at the same time, it made sense. You played in CTWC 2019 and uh, and in this year, and people say that the level of play was so high because people were in the comfort of their own home with their own chair, with their own controller, their own setup. Um, do you think that the level of play improved because everyone was at home or that the pressure was higher because everyone was at home? I feel like, yeah, there is, you know, some aspect, you know, people being at home because, you know, it's like fami familiarity and everything. Yeah. But I don't think that is the reason why there is such high level Tetris. I think that the reason why there is high level Tetris is because everyone was playing year round and, you know, quarantine allowed them to you know put in more time and so that I feel like that contributes more towards uh the high level pressure the high level uh, tetris that we saw this year as opposed you know what people think is like oh they're playing at home they're playing in their own chair they're playing you know with their own controller which they would play with their own controller if they bring it to ctwc you know i feel like <laughs> i feel like uh you know that's not why the level of tetris was so high i feel like a lot of players in front of a crowd would still be able to perform maybe you know not back-to-back 1.1s like what we saw but we still see you know something similar to what you know we saw this year with uh how yeah. high the skill has been raised yeah and then in the end you qualified as seat 41 you were placed in a bracket with uh ben nanu jake uh Zitnev, paul and josh what do you thought when you saw the bracket you were playing in I was discouraged because I had two 1.3 players in my bracket and I was like, well, 
if if I beat one, then I'm probably going to have to go up against another to, you know, try and get into the prize pool. And so then my only goal, you know, as I said on like a, the preview video with a game scout, my only goal was, you know, beat Ben or, you know, beat if I lost to Ben, beat Josh, because I figured Josh was going to lose to Nenu. So then yeah. I did, you know, better than how I did in 2019, where I didn't win any matches. So I just wanted to overall improve from my performance in 2019. Yeah, and then you won the first two matches against Ben and Nanu, and you were suddenly in the winners' brackets finals. How did you do during the match against Ben and Nanu? Were you expecting to beat them back to back? I was not expecting to beat Nanu. That that one was quite the surprise because I didn't have prior to that any time I played Nanu, I've never beaten him. In fact, I don't think I've taken a game off of him because uh. Because he either early top down, then I failed to chase down. So that game, that was like, you know, such a huge spotlight, especially since I pulled it off for a reverse sweep. And it was like, okay, I can't believe I just beat Nenu. Now I have, you know, a real shot at uh, going into the prize pool and, you know, yeah. shocking both myself and everyone. But, and then there was a break between your match against Nenu and your match against Paul. What did you do during the break? Uh, I went and ate fried rice and watched the other matches. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, was it a good thing to have a break between your matches or did you want to play through and have uh, it over with? I felt like I wouldn't have, I would have liked to break to be a little bit shorter as opposed, you know, how long it was. Cause I think I was waiting for like two to three hours. And so, yeah, lose the bracket final. I wish that that match, I kind of wish I had a little bit longer for a break for the loser bracket finals because I wanted yeah. to watch, I wanted to watch them, you know, see who it was. But since, you know, I was busy watching, I didn't necessarily get too much time to, you know, warm myself up. And the winner brackets finals was against Paul. You won a decider. What was your thoughts about that match? It was incredibly close. I know, uh, there is someone it came to mind whenever we played uh an exhibition match for a uh, classic tetris asia and like yeah. that particular day i was running on two hours of sleep and so you know he beat me in a decider and so in my mind i'm like i got you paul don't worry this time i'm running on you know more than two hours of sleep yeah so you're not winning this one and you know ended up uh ended up beating him and then Nenu worked his way all the way through the loser brackets to the finals. And he had, he had to beat you twice to, to move on to the top eight main events. Um, but he beat you the first match 3-1 and the second match 3-0. What was your feeling after those matches? Honestly, it was tough because the last four games I got subpar RNG. Uh, each of those four games only had 30 long bars at transition, which generally implies that that is a low long bar game and yeah. i had you know numerous 40 and 30 droughts there was one game where i had like a 40 and then a 33 drought back to back and obviously i could have played the games better because i have transitioned with six hundred thousand off of you know 30 long bar games but yeah having you know getting that uh rng game after game and it causing me to you know top out in a one game Whenever I was up at the top of the screen, you know, doing my best to survive game four of a uh, set one. And then the long bar just never came whenever, you know, I had a chance for it to come. It really started to, you know, get into my head and I started to lose my composure. 
and got so, you know started to get frustrated. Is that the reason why you lost uh, set two? I'd say that is part of the reason why I made uh, why I just couldn't perform well in nineteen set two, and then on the last game before you know Neto beat me, I uh I had you know this this feeling that like Nenu was just beating me by like 200,000. So I decided to go for a center well early on and yeah. unfortunately got hit with another drought and had no way to burn out the center well. So, you know, I top out and, you know, Nenu advances. Did you analyze all the games, all the matches that you played during CTWC? I'd say my first match with uh, Nenu. And is that something that you do privately or do you want to make a video about it? I'm going to make a video about all of them, but the match versus uh, the match versus me and Nenu is one that I am incredibly excited to make because that's kind of uh, like the best match of, you know, that I had in C2WC because, yeah. you know, I just, I ended up winning three games straight. What do you think of C2WC in general, this, the tournament this year? I think C2WC was an amazing tournament and... A, it was, you know, a lot of people got some recognition that they deserved, you know, being spotlight in their individual brackets. I know there was a lot of players that worked hard year round, but because they got in the classic Tetris late or because they, uh, they don't really, you know, do, you know, too much outside of play and, you know, tournaments and they might not even be, you know, high profile tournaments like the Brawl 800K or, you know, yeah. CTM Futures or yeah. something like that. They didn't really get, you know, too much recognition. So I'm glad CTWC did allow that. However, I feel like there is a little bit of negative for the CTWC and it's kind of uh, the way that the audience received it. I did see, you know, there was a little bit of uh, toxicity going around in certain brackets. And then there's obviously, you know, the way that uh, a lot of people perceived it on YouTube, which, you know, they're, they're you know, YouTube viewers or commenters they always have you know their own opinions and you know everyone's entitled to that but a lot of things you know are misinformed like oh daz is dead or you know hyper tappers should be banned or now we need another daz tournament or they're saying that the game is boring because you know younger players have taken over yeah and that is definitely a lot more prevalent this year than it has been in any year in the past and it's quite unfortunate to see does that bother you it bothers me a lot, actually. Uh, why? One of the main reasons why it bothers me is the whole entire, you know, separate DAS tournament because uh, hypertapping is quote unquote overpowered. And I mean, yes, hypertapping does have an advantage, but I feel like DAS players, until points are being consistently like every single kill screen that a hypertapper gets, they're going to score 100K no matter what. Until we yeah. reach that point, which who knows if we'll reach that point within the next few years or not. You know, that's when, you know, Daz can still compete. A Daz player can still, you know, pull off 1.1s and, you know, maxes every game. I mean, my best average of five from, you know, one of my practice section was a 1.1 followed by a max, followed by a 960, followed by a max, followed by a 940, which yeah. That's, you know, those are what people would consider, you know, oh, those are numbers that a hypertapper would pull up. A Daz player is still capable of this stuff. The thing is, you know, and I get a lot of flack for this because people say that uh, it's talking trash. 
or, you know, I don't necessarily get a lot of flack, but there are a few people out there that, you know, don't like me for saying this. I say yeah. that, you know, consistent 800 Ks at kill screen just is not enough to cut it. And that's what majority of the veterans have, you know, done in the past. And because I said that, you know, people say that, you know, it's talking trash as opposed, you know, it's the truth. If you look at any game and, you know, or any real match from like top eight or even a lot of matches from top 16, if you got 800 K, you weren't necessarily guaranteed to win that match. And, you know, it's, it's the truth. There has been a death exclusive uh, tournament. Do you think that's necessary to do or it's just saying that death is that so we need a different tournament, a tournament full of death plays so we can uh, we can show the world that death can still be played good? I feel like as long as a death tournament just stays as a thing that's like for fun, because it's one, it's hard to, you know, enforce that players just use Daz. What if, you know, a hyper tapper, you know, with, you know, Thor grip just manages to limit their speed to, you know, 10 or even, you know, 13 hertz on a certain piece. And it's like, oh, it was a quick tap. You know, it's kind of hard to, you know, enforce that if they are, you know, moving at the rate of Daz, you know, with their tapping or, you yeah. know. And then what if, you know, a lot of Daz players, they do tap when they lose Daz. And so then if you outroll that, are they just, you know, supposed to dead drop the piece or, you know, attempt to, you know, get it over with perfect Daz? You know, it's hard to, you know, enforce that. But I feel as long as, you know, a Daz tournament is created for the sake of it just being for fun, a fun thing that everyone can participate in, then yeah. I think it would be fine. But another... Another qualm I have with like a DAS tournament is that that's essentially what the silver bracket w was. You know, if you don't make the top yeah. 64, you know, you went into the silver bracket if you were in the next 32 seeds. And I believe there was like only six or seven hyper tappers. The overwhelming majority mm -hmm. of players was DAS players. So, I heard 90% were DAS players in yeah. the silver bracket. Yeah, majority of them were DAS players. And so then it's like, even them just having, you know, your gold bracket and your silver bracket, maybe expand the silver bracket a little bit, you know, maybe 48 seeds or something like that in the future, you know, I'd say that would suffice. But in order in order for you to, you know, want to compete at the world championship level, you got to continue to improve. And with this game, you, there there is no spot where you can say, all right, I mastered the game. It is impossible for me to, you know, improve. There's always something that you can get better at, whether it be your consistency, your competitive, your adjustments, your stacking, your 19 survival. There is always something that you can work on with this game. You know, even Joseph has said, like, you know, everyone can still improve on their 19. And, you know, even though 29 is being optimized, everyone can still improve at their 29 play. Yeah. Is it is this a problem that is just 2020 or or a problem that happens in 2018 and 2019? I feel like the DAS is dead kind of started in 2019 with uh you know there being a not a lot more hypertappers that came onto the scene. But yeah. the thing is is that there there's really very few DAS players that can, you know, compete with high level hyper tappers and so you know it, it kind of boils down to statistics i mean there was like what 10 daz players 10 ish daz players in the top 64 obviously yeah the the chances of a daz player making it into you know the top eight spots is going to be low if the overwhelming majority were hyper tappers yeah so 
I just feel uh, like uh, there's just a statistical disadvantage. There is way fewer ex- uh, exceptional DAS players out there as opposed to how many exceptional hypertappers there are. I feel sometimes the community finds it difficult to accept that DAS is a good uh, style to start and, and learn stacking with and, and, and etc. But if you want to be the best of the best, you have to switch to hypertapping. Uh, I'd say that that's one misconception is that you have to be a DAS player to have good stacking because there are, you know, there are several DAS players out there that don't have necessarily the best stacking. They're hypertappers that stack, stack better than them. I feel like if you study how to, you know, stack, you know, by analyzing both your games and other games, then you too can, you know, be a good stacker, whether despite what your play style is. But yeah. if you if you want to, you know, if you want to be, you know, the best of the best and you want to give yourself the best chance at that, then, yeah, you you got to learn, you know, how to hypertap or at least learn how to hypertap on 19. You can still compete with these uh, with these high level hypertappers as a DAS player. But in order to do that, one, you yourself need to learn how to be efficient on both 18 and 19. And you have to be even more so efficient than the hypertappers through the way that you stack. And then two, yeah. you have to, you know, learn how to quick tap with very high accuracy. I say, you know, for myself personally, I hit, you know, anywhere from 85 to 90% of all my quick taps with the exception of frame yeah. perfect quick taps. And, you know, Green Tea, you know, he's he hits his quick taps just about every single time and his dad's control and his play on 29 is insane. But, you know, you have to be able to push Daz to the limits if you are to try and match, you know, these high level you know hyper tappers and yeah. that's one thing that you don't see a lot of das players do is you know push it to the limits a lot of people say that i stack aggressively when i feel like i don't and they say i play up high for a das player when i feel like i don't i just you know it's just, it's just what i do you know i feel like my das control is good enough okay it's the way that i stack and if you know the limits of dash you know how how high you can stack yeah, and then also, you know, the limits of quick tapping as well. Switching, uh, switching topics, you've been doing doing some coaching sessions lately. You had your CTWC bootcamp before uh, CTWC. You helped Chris Higgins improving his Tetris play. Uh, lately, you you are helping Fentweller trying to become a better Tetris player. How did you end up being a coach and helping other players? Uh, I guess one of the ways that I started to become a coach was whenever I did just evals back then, because I was like, well, if I get some evals, you know, maybe I could upload them on YouTube for, you know, some content that, you know, people could learn from. But at the time, the evals wouldn't have been, you know, polished because they have, you know, they don't have like the fancy animations like what I do with a CTMA. Yeah. But... I know for the boot camp, I was like, okay, you know, there are a lot of people that want to, you know, participate in CTWC and they only have like a month or so to do so. I found myself in their shoes, you know, last year for 2019, because at the time I only had, you know, I qualified for CTWC 2019 with only seven months of experience, not even, you know, yeah. close to a year or anything. And the only way I was able to do that was whenever I went through like a, this uh, strict training regimen with for like a full month where I was able to, you know, boost my overall skill dramatically to, you know, where I was getting consistent 800K in quals and, you know, my PB was like nine nine 921 
at the time. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I can try and replicate that success in others, but modifying modifying the way I did uh, the training regimen so then others, you know, don't burn themselves out as well as they, you know, learn how to, you know, get better and give themselves the best chance for qualifying. And which, you know, a few from the boot camp did qualify, both uh Ian and Redshirt, they made top 32 overall and then top four in their respective brackets. And then PK yeah. Eric and Timmy, they qualified for the tournament as well. And what's your training regime look like? My training regime for 2019 was uh, day one, did nothing but level 19. Day two, did a, did a mock qual attempts. Day three, went for a try to go for max outs. Day four, mock qual attempts. Day five, uh, just do regular uh, consistency practice rest on saturday and then maybe i might rest on sunday and then do it all over again and i did this for just a a little bit over a month straight do you use something like that nowadays no i do not uh now nowadays i just uh practice whenever but for ctwc in particular i always did uh i did two hour calls every single day i'm pretty sure i like played like four on average four hours a day every day with the exception of uh saturday or even then like saturday night i might still do you know late night stuff but i did uh four hour practices just about every day before calls i, I would imagine that you were dreaming about tetris uh after after a ctwc and uh, and all the hard work uh i don't think i don't really have too many dreams so i don't think i was dreaming about tetris or anything for that matter <laughs> Do you have, or when you daydream that you see the Tetris blocks falling and that you're stacking in your hat and playing playing a game like that? When I first started in my first year, I did see that, but now I don't see it really <laughs> since, you know, I'm, I'm, even though I'm being constantly exposed to it, to Tetris. Yeah. And, and what are the things that you're looking for when you first coach a player? First thing I always ask, you know, is like, okay, what's your PB? What is the highest level you can play? And then I generally, you know, ask them, you know, record one or two of their games. And then from there, I do, I give them personalized advice for their journey. Yeah. And uh, and how do you teach them? Uh, I coach them, I walk them through placements that they could have done better, but as opposed to, you know, just saying, oh, this placement is better. I would have done this. I was like, okay, this is the placement I would do, and here's why. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. The placement you did, it leads to blah, 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 blah. So this could put you in trouble if you don't get the right RNG, you know, stuff like that. And yeah, I throw, I don't necessarily throw, but I teach them concepts of stacking that, you know, I personally use and that I find successful. And depending on, you know, where each individual player is at, their advice is going to be different, which makes, you know, one-on-one coaching incredibly helpful as opposed to, you know, just broad, you know, coaching classes. Like, all right, welcome to, you know, Sharky's coaching class. If you are at X PB, then this is for you. Yeah. And uh, who helped you uh, when you started your playing career besides uh, uh, Jonas and Joseph stack analyzing? 
that is it. <laughs> I, That's only it. Uh, those are the only two players I had studied. And then I would occasionally, you know, whenever I found out about Harry, I would watch his streams, but his play style was incredibly aggressive. And I always, when I first started, and even now, I always have tournament Tetris on, you know, I always practice tournament Tetris. And so Harry's play style isn't tournament Tetris oriented. So I don't, I didn't pay attention to, you know, how he played. Were you not interested in, in seeing other players stack or do you think Jonas and, and Joseph were the only two that stack the best? At the time, a lot of people didn't really stream. And, you know, those were like the two main ones that I knew that were high level. But whenever, you know, now anywhere I go, you know, over and watch other streams, it's like, okay, yeah. I could, you know, wouldn't I basically put myself in their shoes? Like, well, if they were playing, I would have done this at this, 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 you know, play, you know, yeah. play Tetris in my mind. And you have, you have also a series on your YouTube channel uh, that you analyze different classic Tetris matches. Uh, I believe it's called Classic Tetris Matches Animated. Uh, uh, analyzed, sorry. <laughs> classic Tetris Matches Analyzed. <laughs> Yeah. Why did you start? Why did you start making analyzing videos? Because I felt like it was a uh, cool, you know, to like just break down. It's like, hey, let's see, you know, if they played the pieces different, what could have happened? Could we have changed the outcome of you know any game had we played that? And I think that you know it was an interesting concept because it also you know said it also allowed you to do you know stacking concepts in there. It's like, okay, if uh Batfoy, they placed this piece in this area. This would have been better because it would allow better board accommodation. They would have been able to, you know, kind of outlast this drought, or they would have been able to, you know, score just a little bit more points. You know, I think it's interesting to look at those things and then you see that it's like, oh, okay. So if I ever run into this situation, which you know is possible, unlikely but possible, I need to do this so then I can stay Tetris ready or you know have a clean enough board to where I can be, you know, conservative if needed. And I feel like yeah. having that as, you know, a series is, uh, is pretty good for, you know, teaching players, you know, stacking concepts as well as, you know, just illustrating, you know, matches in what, that sense. What do you think was the best match that you analyzed? As of right now, Joseph versus green tea. I do have one that I'm working on, which I think, is probably going to be the most insightful duo one, which is uh, when me and Joseph analyzed Batboy versus Corian. But yeah, out from any of the ones that are currently uploaded, definitely uh, Joseph versus Green Tea. Why is that? That match was, you know, pressing as like the best match of uh, CTWC history up until, you know, this year. So best match of, you know, CTWC 2019. And the despite them having such fantastic matches, there was a lot that could have been done that could have made them just a little bit more efficient. So we could have even seen like 1.1s, potentially even 1.2s in that matchup. And yeah. seeing, you know, that level, that high level of Tetris play, despite all the quote unquote mistakes, as I called them in the video, that, you know, it's, I think that is so uh, insightful. Yeah. And which matches do you want to analyze in the future? Uh, I have like a notebook of matches that I did want to analyze. I know I wanted to try and create eventually like a little docu-series on Joseph's journey through CTWC 2018 and kind of like yeah. illustrate, you know, weave in CTMA in that going the way that, you know, his path was incredibly difficult, but also, you know, kind of, you know, try to tell a story on how the scene 
evolved from that point. And will Joseph be appearing in this video? Yeah, I've already talked with him, you know, when I do actually start to make the series. And so he will be appearing in a lot of other people that were, you know, inspired by him as well. And and matches that uh, were happening during CTWC or this year. Uh, are there some matches that you really want to analyze? Or is your main focus right now on the Joseph documentary? I want to analyze a lot of matches from top eight since they are same piece sets. And then I want to analyze my own personal matches. And then outside of that, I'm not too particularly interested in other matches with maybe the exception of Dog versus Corian. Yeah. That was insane. What will your YouTube future look like? I want this current YouTube channel to be like essentially a Tetris, uh, like a hub for, you know, everything Tetris. So, you know, if I get, you know, like do something really cool, you know, I'll put it on there. But I want it to, you know, be just like, hey, you go to this channel for information on current events. You go to this channel to see, you know, analysis on videos. You go to this channel to see, you know, commentary. You go to this channel to see, you know, my, the new team format you know you just go to this channel for a lot of things tetris related and then you know i did plan on you know creating two other channels one was uh the sharky archive channel which you know i just dump you know my twitch vods and then i'd upload like anything that i deem cool on there and then the other one was uh this other channel i was going to call was it's megalodon which was going to be my channel for non-tetris content which if yeah. other people, you know, enjoy, you know, my non-Tetris content, then I'll just put it over there. Because at this point, you know, I have become, you know, an NES Tetris channel. And so if I upload anything kind of off-brand, it wouldn't, you know, be received as well. True. And uh, matches from the gauntlet, will they be on your channel or on a, on a different channel? This time, I'm actually going to, you know, commit to editing gauntlet video videos more regularly. It, the thing, it was just always a daunting task of having to go through after the tournament and edit every single video, especially if there was videos with, you know, audio issues that I had to like go in and then redub my uh, commentary over. And so it was not, you know, it was always a daunting task, but I think with this next team season it is almost imperative that I upload, you know, these match these matches in their entirety to, you know, the gauntlet channel as well as, yeah. you know, upload highlights to, you know, my channel. So, like, if there was a really good match or even, you know, a really good set, you know, upload those to my channels. Like, then go see the full match here on the Classic Tetris College. And my final question is is a personal one, and it's what will personally the future look like for you? Personally, the future for me is I'm just going to, you know, continue to play my part in the community. As I, I remember... In 2019, when in the after party, when I was uh, commentating over a uh, green tea destroying everyone at SNES Tetris, uh, before Arda left, he had told me that you know I'm the future of you know classic Tetris, and at the time I didn't necessarily know what that meant because I mean I didn't really you know do too much, but yeah, it, it was quite the enig uh, the enigma of a statement, and over time I did now come to realize that I play an important role in this community. I mean, anyone can, you know, fill in my role, but all the things that I do, all the work that I put in, it's doing its own portion to, you know, help the scene grow. And I'm kind of seen, you know, as a pillar or an ambassador for the community. And so yeah. 
I just want to, you know, continue to work hard and, you know, try to, you know, grow the community any way I can. The the game, the game has incredible potential. I mean, if people are willing to, you know, watch Tetris over American, a college American football, that says something about the game. And with all that I'm able to do, you know, use my voice for commentary, use my skills for, you know, graphics design, all my creative ideas that I bring, you know, like Gauntlet, which inspired all the other tournaments because just before Gauntlet, there was only CTM. And yeah. so, you know, Gauntlet, which inspired CTO, Brawl, Friendlies, and, you know, all these other tournaments, you know, I feel, you know, my main goal is to try to take the scene as far as it, as far as I can, you know, obviously with help of other community leaders and see if we can actually get it to, you know, push it to, you know, as close to mainstream as possible, as well yeah. as, you know, for me to, you know, find a way to not only su support and sustain myself, but, you know, also support my family who has yeah. been nothing but encouraging the entire step of the way. My dad, you know, he, when he was the one that, you know, bought my first NES for me, he's like, if you can organize the garage in 20 minutes, I'll buy you the NES. <laughs> and so I did just that. And he, you know, bought the NES and he and my mom, they, they took a gamble, basically uh, having to take out their money that they were going to use for something else to send me to CTWC 2019. And yeah, even though it appears that I came back empty handed, the connections I made there and the memories that I made there as well are something that, you know, are going to last a very long time. And so, yeah, coming forward, I just want to be able to, you know, do my part to help the community grow and also continue to grow myself as a player, commentator, you know, content creator, analysis, you know, everything. And more importantly, continue to grow myself as a person. Sharky, I thank you for your time. Thank you so much for doing this. And with that all being said, this will be the end of the Peace Dependency Podcast. Thank you all for listening and make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Kingsman Tetris Friendly's Discord server and follow me on the socials at SirMazer. We have something cool planned for the taping of the February episode for the Peace Dependency Podcast, but more info will be released soon. For now, have a great Tetris month, and I will see you all in February. Bye!